Since the beginning of the pandemic, the American Medical Association has led the fight against COVID-19. As the nation copes with the effects of the crisis, we continue to offer tireless advocacy and expert resources. I'm Todd Unger, and this is AMA Moving Medicine, a podcast from the American Medical Association. This episode is part of an ongoing series featuring critical insights from the physicians and healthcare professionals on the front lines of the pandemic. Hello, this is the American Medical Association's COVID-19 update. Today, we're talking to Todd Askew, AMA Senior Vice President of Advocacy in Washington, D.C., who will give us an update on the AMA's advocacy efforts and COVID-19 in the new year. I'm Todd Unger, AMA's Chief Experience Officer in Chicago. Mr. Askew, we know this has been a, or is a big week for Congress. Uh, I've got two Senate runoffs uh, in Georgia happening today. Uh, we discussed briefly in November, but how do you foresee today's outcome affecting healthcare legislation, uh, most notably the Affordable Care Act? Well, thanks, Todd. I think obviously, um, should the two Democratic candidates prevail, uh, you would have a Senate that's obviously much more receptive to uh, President-elect Biden's agenda, including uh, on the Affordable Care Act. I think it's important to remember, though, that uh, 50 votes does not mean very much in the United States Senate when it comes to policy, that generally most issues must be decided by 60 votes. So it won't really be a carte blanche power for uh, uh, Democratic leadership in the Senate to uh, enact, um, enact President Biden's agenda. I do think, however, it does set the tone and it creates it would create opportunity uh, for some of those voices who may not have been heard over the last four years uh, to be heard, uh, particularly I look to control of the committees. Um, the committee leadership sets the tone. Uh, they call the hearings. They, they choose the issues that the committees are going to address. Uh, and that's where legislation is born. So while it doesn't guarantee uh, any potential legislative success, it does change the conversation and, and focus on different things than we may have been focusing on over the over the last couple of years and that includes obviously uh the affordable care act um i don't think it's a guarantee i think obviously uh defeating the coronavirus is job one two and three uh for the new administration but certainly during the campaign there's been conversation about uh the opportunity to make some further improvements to the affordable care act Uh, you can do a few things even in a 50 50 senate but most policy would require a pretty substantial compromise uh, they may, of course, continues to strongly support uh, the Affordable Care Act and a pluralistic healthcare system, you know, as a whole. So it's important that we and hopefully the Senate continue to work to uh, strengthen the ACA, but also to support Medicaid, uh, have a strong Medicare program, and have a strong private healthcare system as well, a system of private health insurance uh, that's responsive. Uh, to the needs of the patients and, you know, lets them get affordable access to care uh, and also uh, treats uh, physicians fairly. So there's a lot that could be done in the health insurance arena for sure. Um, but Republican control, Democratic control of the Senate by no means uh, defi- will define uh, that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned uh, combating the uh, COVID-19 pandemic is kind of job one, two, and three. Uh, President-elect Biden has indicated a stronger federal response to the pandemic after January 20th. How do you see the country, uh, the country's federal pandemic response changing in late January and February, and how will this help shape the AMA's advocacy priorities? So I think it's important, first of all, that we remember, you know, we have one administration at a time, 
Uh, we have two weeks left in the current administration, and that's really an eternity uh, in fighting this virus. And so uh, we must continue to push and encourage the current administration uh, to strengthen their efforts uh, to encourage a dissemination and administration of vaccines and uh, promotion of public health uh, measures, which can help keep people safe. Uh, so we'll continue to do that. I, I don't see any doubt, though, that, uh, you know, a Biden administration will be more vocal uh, in espousing uh, the public health measures that we all need that he's talked about, you know, encouraging, you know, mask wearing, you know, focusing on that first hundred days, uh, encouraging people to wear masks, increasing distribution of vaccines. Uh, a lot of that is going on right now, but I think you will see a more vocal leadership. But I don't think they're going to lay it out right now. I don't think it would be appropriate for them to second guess at this moment what the current administration is doing. Um, so I, I'm not you know, surprised that we haven't seen a lot of details about what they would do. Uh, but I do know for a fact they're working very hard on it. And this will be uh, their top agenda item uh, in the healthcare arena, as it should be uh, once um, uh, President Biden is sworn in on the 20th of January. Mm -hmm. Well, in addition to the federal advocacy work, um, there's a lot of activity at the state level. And in fact, tomorrow kicks off the AMA's State Advocacy Summit. Can you tell us how has this year's meeting changed in light of the pandemic and what do you hope will be accomplished over the next few days? Well, I think obviously, I mean, the meeting's virtual uh, and so that's a first for us, but uh, we have very strong registration. Uh, we have over uh, something close to 40 different speakers over the three uh, three days of the meeting. So I think we're going to have as robust and informative a program uh, in the virtual environment as, as we have had previously uh, in the in-person environment uh, with this meeting. And obviously, there's a lot of important work to do uh, for those who advocate uh, at the state level. Uh, most state legislatures have not been in session for 10 months. A lot of what's been done in the states has been done by executive order. So there is an immense amount of unfinished business. Uh, and we'll be talking about that as part of the State Advocacy Summit. We've got a lot of great speakers, including members of state legislatures, uh, to address these issues. And, you know, COVID obviously will be one of the one of the top issues. Uh, but we got to start that conversation about how we rebuild and refocus the public health infrastructure. And states play such an immense role in that conversation. Uh, coverage telehealth, all these issues states play a very important role in. Um, but also, and then I would mention also the overdose uh, epidemic, which has only grown uh, during this during this period uh, of, of shutdown and, and people being socially distant. Um, uh, we've seen a lot of that growth in these diseases of despair and overdose uh, problem has unfortunately gotten worse. So we'll have a lot of opportunity to discuss those issues. Uh, I would also talk about mention that we'll be talking about how do you advocate in this environment where uh, state legislatures, the meetings will be virtual still for the most part uh, for the you know foreseeable future. And so how can advocates best engage? What tools are there to engage? What techniques can advocates use to press their case uh, with their state legislators? And so we're looking forward to a great meeting. As I mentioned, registration is really strong. There's still time to register if people would like to. Um, and, and I think it's going to be a really valuable uh, experience for all the participants. 
And you can find out more on the AMA site about that important meeting. Um, well, speaking of very hot topics, one of the uh, very uh, key issues over the past several weeks has been around surprise billing and the No Surprises Act. Uh, Mr. Askew, can you talk about, uh, you know, give us an update on what does it mean for physicians? Sure. So at the end of the year, obviously, we had a large healthcare package come together, uh, uh, including COVID, uh, stimulus, uh, the annual appropriations bills, this massive multi-trillion dollar package. And included in there was a priority that Congress has been working on for a number of years uh, to deal with unanticipated medical bills. Of course, Congress started looking at this a number of years ago when there was a lot of focus on some really high profile instances. There was a the New York Times story, I think, on an assistant at surgery bill for $117,000. And things like that really focused Congress's attention. And so, you know, you look more at the problem, you look more at how this is happening. And for various, you know, various reasons, uh, you had physicians who were not in network practicing in hospitals that were in network. And so patients would go and get care. And usually these were physicians or other providers. It wasn't just physicians who um, the patient really didn't have the opportunity to select. Uh, who they're, whether it be their anesthesiologist or their radiologist, for example. Uh, and so I think everybody from the physician community agreed right off. The problem here was between the payer and the physician, that the payer was not offering fair rates. They couldn't come to an agreement. The patient was stuck in the middle. So number one priority was to get the patient out of the middle. And this legislative solution does that. Medicine doesn't stand still. And at the AMA, neither do we. AMA members are physicians like you who are shaping the future of medicine. Become a member today and join the movement. Visit ama-assn.org slash movingmedicine. Uh, but it's important to look back at where we started in that some of the solutions that were being proffered a few years ago were horrible. Uh, they were going to just give the insurer the final word that Whatever the insurer paid, that is what the physician was going to have to accept, which would have really meant why would an insurer ever offer a contract to these physicians if they can dictate what the payment is now? Uh, there were other proposals to say every physician practicing in an in-network hospital must have a contract with all the payers that that hospital does, which, again, if you're forced to have a contract in order to practice, then that puts the physician at extreme disadvantage. So we've moved beyond that. Uh, one of the key features, in fact, the central feature that uh, physician community was pushing uh, was a feature that was part of a New York law and other states have adopted it as well. And that's an independent dispute resolution where if the two parties to these disagreements couldn't come to a mutually agreeable uh, resolution, they could go to an independent, re independent dispute uh, resolution entity. And that entity generally would consider a number of factors it's a baseball-style arbitration where each party makes their final offer, and then the independent entity uh, chooses the one that's most reasonable. So that's the basis of what was finally included in the legislation. It's not perfect. You know, we would have very much liked to see physician charges be part of the consideration. Uh, that was not included in the final bill because it would have uh, really blown up the cost of the bill, according to CBO. Uh, however, uh, importantly, uh, the Arbiter cannot consider Medicare and Medicaid rates or other public payer rates, which are we know are much lower than a fair market rate. So that's an important concession. And there's no threshold. Any claim can be brought to IDR. 
And so that's an important uh, win, I think, for physicians as well, uh, in that it will help level the playing field uh, for all claims and hopefully uh, give physicians a fair opportunity to negotiate a fair settlement while protecting the patient. So at the end of the day, there will be some, there will be some uh, regulation that has to come. It won't go into effect until 2022, uh, and we will continue to pursue you know, improvements as needed. Uh, but I think Congress and a lot of folks were happy to have this off the table because there's no real winners here. It's a lot of pressure on different segments of the healthcare system. And I think they came to the best resolution that they felt uh, they could right now. Well, thank you to uh, you and the advocacy team for all the work that you did there uh, uh, to benefit patients and physicians. Uh, you mentioned Medicare, uh, uh, you know, on that topic. What about efforts to oppose cuts to Medicare payments? Is there any progress made on that uh, at the end of the year? Sure. So uh, in the final physician payment rule, uh, many specialties saw significant cuts with estimated impacts on specialties that perform very few E&M services as high as 10% reduction in overall Medicare payments. And this grows largely out of the fact that we made some important improvements to evaluation and management services, not only to how uh, those, those are documented, but also the rates that they are paid for those E&M services. And those, those were important improvements to the Medicare program. CMS made additional changes related to that, additional codes, uh, um, and changes to other codes beyond just the E&M services that really compounded the amount of spending that was shifting in one direction. And Medicare is essentially a budget-neutral system, so the cuts had to be made uh, to the other side in order to balance the books, if you will. Uh, luckily, um, I think that Congress recognized that cuts of this magnitude, especially at this time when so many physician practices not only have uh, suffered financially uh, because of the COVID-19 crisis, uh, but also continue to face financial pressures every day uh, as they are working on the front lines uh, of providing care to, to a COVID patients, um, those, the, the cuts would have had devastating impacts. And so Congress stepped up and essentially uh, proposed a one-time 3.75% increase uh, in Medicare rates uh, they also delayed the implementation of, of the add-on code uh, that was part of the reason uh, the cuts were so large. Um, and uh, there were some other things. Sequester was delayed uh, for, for three months, so we'll have more time to work on that. Uh, so at the end of the day, uh, some specialties will see, still see a small reduction in Medicare payment rates, but most uh, will see an increase, and some a substantial increase. Uh, in the coming year, uh, which hopefully will help uh, with making sure their practices uh, remain viable uh, in the near term, while we obviously continue to work uh, for longer term solutions to some of the Medicare payment uh, dilemmas that we face that we face every year. Well, as we uh, head into 2021, anything else that physicians uh, should be aware of that's on the horizon? Well, I think we're going to see in the first few months of the year, obviously, a continued focus on on uh, coronavirus and how we defeat this virus. And, th and that's as it should be. Um, uh, physicians need to continue to encourage their patients that when your turn comes for a vaccine, when it's available for you to take it. And in the meantime, and even afterwards, continue to uh, practice uh, those good uh, public health uh, measures that we know 
washing your hands, wearing a mask when you're in public, social distancing, not gathering in crowds. Uh, these are just the things we're going to have to do until we get beyond this. I think once kind of we get a handle on this, uh, things will really open up. You have a new with a new administration, a new Congress. I think there'll be a hunger for looking at some healthcare policies. Obviously, we've got to look at the public health infrastructure. And obviously, we've also seen this, the disparate impact this crisis has had on marginalized communities. Uh, and it just has just laid bare uh, a number of problems faced by uh, the, those communities in accessing care, but also you know, housing, nutrition, education, transportation, all those things that help people you know, succeed and lead a healthy life. And so I think there will be a lot of focus on, on those equity issues uh, as it comes to healthcare, but also other aspects. And it's gonna be an exciting two years, I think in healthcare policy and legislation, but we gotta get over this first. We gotta stay focused, uh, press through to the end, uh, get folks vaccinated and, uh, and get this crisis under control. And then we'll see what opportunities uh, open up. Well, thank you so much, uh, Mr. Askew, for your insights and perspectives and for representing physicians with a unified voice. Happy New Year. uh, For more information on the State Advocacy Summit, make sure to check that out on the AMA site. Uh, Thanks for joining us. Take care. This content was originally published as part of AMA's COVID-19 daily video updates. Find the latest at ama-assn.org slash COVID update. I'm Todd Unger, and this is AMA Moving Medicine, a podcast from the American Medical Association. You can also subscribe to other great AMA podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher, or visit ama-assn.org slash podcasts. Thank you for listening.